Welcome back, everybody. I just wanted to remind everyone that if you haven't done so already, be sure you are subscribed to the show on whatever channel it is you're listening on, iTunes, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, any of those. Just hit that subscribe button so you can catch all of the latest shows as we drop them. Also, be sure you're following us on Instagram. It's at the Words Over Ice Show. Today we have on Warren Stellman, who's a uh, best-selling author and got caught up in a sweepstake scandal uh, that he was involved with. Got sent to prison for I think five or six years, and then you know came out and wrote a book called Gorilla Tango, which became a bestseller. So we'll just jump into the episode. I hope you enjoy it. Thanks again. Welcome to the Words Over Ice Show. Have a drink, whether glass mug or styrofoam. Give my best up to Ray, he's the right host. And Mad James on a sarcastic tightrope. Then there's Jason, full of opinions. Co-host with brains and the boldest intentions. Ali, that's the man making profits. Greg and Duke join us talking controversial topics. You know it get real in these interviews. We talk about it all when we bring a news. Rolling with the punches, a one-two combo. The Words Over Ice Show. Let's have a convo. Good to meet you guys. Nice yeah, to meet you. I listen to a few of your shows. I like it. We, we uh, appreciate thank that. Thank yeah, you. No, really, I do. And I'm not just waxing poetic. You know? <laughs> I've been on a, a, quite a few podcasts and um, I've listened to a bunch and I like I liked it. I like the ones I listen to. Thank you. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks for jumping out again, man. I know uh, we had to reschedule, so I appreciate you being flexible. Yeah, um, seriously. Thank you for that. Yeah, no problem at all. Because it sounds like, sounds like, you know, you've throughout your life, you've had to kind of adapt and, and be flexible with the yeah. situations you've been put in. So I, yeah. I didn't think it'd be too big of a deal for you. Yeah, so you surprises for sure. <laughs> so, so Warren, you, you just wrote a book, Gorilla Tango. So um, for anybody, for the listeners, for you guys who don't know, uh, why don't you tell us your story of how, you know, how, how you ended up, because you, you spent a lot of time in prison. You know, how, well, how did... yeah, I mean, I guess uh, by some definition, a lot of time. Of course, there's a lot of people who spend a lot more time than I did. Sure. Uh, so I was, uh, I'm from Montreal, Canada. Uh-huh. And I was uh, I, basically a businessman all my life and pretty successful at that. And then uh, a whole series of events sort of converged and I lost everything. And with that, I began drinking uh Terribly. I, you know, I never drank. And in my 40s, I suddenly started drinking. And one thing led to another. I became just a full blown raging drunk, I guess, at some point. After uh-huh. the loss of uh, a pretty big company, I invested a lot of money in. And a lot of things happened. My marriage unraveled. My wife and I went through some bad times. We have four children. And um, I, in a desperate act, I don't know misguided greed call it whatever you want i got involved in a uh, sweepstakes fraud that targeted american victims and we were doing this from santo domingo in the dominican republic where i was living at the time mm-hmm. and it, it didn't last very long but i at some point i decided I, I you know i can no longer live uh drinking the way i was and i quit drinking and i sort of got my life back on the rails and I got, you know, disinvolved from what I was involved in and started uh, rebuilding and created a, a new business. And things were, things were really starting to track when in 2012, I got uh, 
we got uh, uh, my wife as well. We got arrested. I got arrested by Interpol in Santo Domingo, and I was eventually extradited to New York to face, uh, you know, the charges against me. And I ended up in MCC New York for 14 months, which is like a supermax detention center. It's where they recently held El Chapo. And oh, wow. uh, after that, I, I pled out. I mean, I was guilty. There was no question about whether or not, uh, you know, I was certainly not going to trial. I was guilty. And this was linked to the, uh, the sweepstakes thing. Yeah, it was directly okay. because of the sweepstakes. And, uh, so I got sentenced to 75 months and I served, you know, another four and a half years in FCI Allenwood in Pennsylvania. So yeah, at the age of 53 years old, never sort of any kind of criminal background or having done anything wrong in my life. I suddenly, you know, I not suddenly I committed this crime for which I'm deeply ashamed and for which, uh, I make no excuses. It was a, you know, a terrible, despicable thing that I, that I did. And, uh, you know, I, I, uh, you know, I deserved to be punished in, in my mind and, you know, that's what happened, but it was kind of like a fish out of water story. Here I was a guy from, you know, uh, you know, an educated background who never had been in trouble and suddenly found myself in some mm-hmm. of those places. Yeah. How was your, how was your mental? Cause typically you hear these stories and it's usually younger guys, right? 18, 19. Right, which was um, irony. Yeah. Um, yeah. So how was your mental going into it? Cause you have four children. What were the ages? I mean, how I, mean, kind of, at the time, I, I got, so we got three daughters. Now my wife got arrested too and she did four years. So our kids were without parents. Oh, wow. wow. Yeah. So it was, it was real crazy. My oldest was 21 at the time. And my second daughter was 19. My youngest daughter was with my wife when my wife got arrested in Miami, traveling back to Montreal. So uh, she was 16, and our son was 14 at the time. So, yeah, it was a real, you know, real rough experience as it goes on the kids and on my parents. Uh, fortunately, were able to take, you know, the younger kids in with them. I was going to uh, say, because of their ages, they didn't go into the system. It went to your parents. They went to your parents, right? right? So, you know, we're Canadian, right? So they went back to Canada. And yeah, of course, my oldest daughter took custody of the youngest ones. Okay. And, you know, they all pulled together. And, you know, I'm, I thank God that we're, uh, you know, a tight-knit family. The kids supported us and, uh, I mean, supported us through this all. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, we came out. The other end of it, thankfully, today, uh, strong and still, you know, together in a strong family unit. So I'm very, very grateful for that. Well, that sounds to me like good parenting in general and just good people, because uh, in those situations, generally, you see families fall apart and children do not stick together like that. So that's a testament that it was just like a bad decision at one point. But it overall, as a person and a parent, seemed to be stellar. Well, you know what? Thank you for that, because I got to tell you. I literally used to tell myself that every day to get through. Prison. Oh yeah, I Man. used to tell myself we must have done something right because these yeah. kids are here and they're right by our side and they come to visit and they and they're you know they they step up and do whatever. And so I used to tell myself every day just to get myself through it. And, yeah, and you're right because you know I'd see guys go to the phone and mm-hmm. you know families destroyed, families you know yeah. You know, nothing but bad news. And yeah, man. Just terrible stuff. It's not always, it's not always the inmate that, that serves the punishment, man. Well, I think you know, sometimes yeah, the, I think, the whole family think, gets affected. Yeah, I think it's totally about that. I think it's totally about the family. Unfortunately, it's, uh, 
it's really, you know, I write it in my book. It's the family that suffers. After, you know, once you're convicted and you, if you manage to find your way, you know, in prison, you know, they feed you, you got a bed to sleep in. And if you, you know, you, you figure out how to survive without, you know, not surviving. Yeah. Right. And you learn how to live in prison. Then, you know, it's, it's the family that's really punished. Yes. So take, take me to that day, you know, you're right. Mid forties or whatever age you were, you know, you're walking, you know, you know, you're there to serve four years. You're walking in your first day of prison. What was, what was that like? What was going well, through your head? You know, what were you, what were you witnessing? Well, yeah, well, the story is, uh, you gotta, you gotta rewind a little bit. So I'm 53 years old. I'm living in Santo Domingo. We, and it's described in the book. We're flying back to Montreal. I'm going back for three reasons. I'm going to my 37th high school reunion, which I'm excited to go to because uh-huh. Facebook people are coming from all over the world, right? Right. And I've been in touch with people. I haven't, you know, I forgot they were even alive. <laughs> I didn't even remember right. them. And so it's kind of exciting to go for that. My youngest, my son, is in summer camp in Montreal. We're picking him up because we live in Santo Domingo, so he's got to start school. He, him and my daughter, we're going to the American school in Santo Domingo. And then, of course, I'm going home to visit. We're going to visit our older two daughters and my parents. We get to the airport, and they tell me I can't fly. I can't leave. I don't understand what's going on. Now, I'm, I've applied for my permanent residence. I have my temporary residence. And I think it's related to that. So I tell my wife and daughter, you know, go ahead. I'll call the lawyer. We'll figure this out. I'll come tomorrow. And, you know, she says, no, no, we'll stay. I said, no, we're going to you know, lose money on three tickets. Now, you and Andy go. My daughter's name is Andy. My wife's name is Lana. You go. And I'll, you know, I'll be there tomorrow or the day after. I'll straighten this up. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, as the book describes, they never made it. Lana was arrested in FBI when she was switching planes to uh, fly to Montreal. So I understood quickly what was going on. And, you know, things just, it just turned into like a, you know, it was a total shitstorm. Yeah. <laughs> and I hired her a lawyer, but then I realized there was a thing, a few things that happened leading up to it that suddenly started to make sense. And so I kind of went on the lamb for a few days to try and work things out and do the best that I could. But ultimately I was arrested uh, by Interpol on a busy street in Santo Domingo. They came out of, I don't know where they came out of. Yeah. Popped they, out of a fucking pineapple drink. <laughs> you know, guns, guns, you know, guns drawn, screaming and yelling. And, uh, it was, you know, it was terrifying. I was in the car with my driver and, uh, and that was it. So from there I was taken to Dominican jails. Which is uh, that's a different type of yeah, shit. Yeah, that's a whole different world. I was in, like, you know, I describe them as literally dungeons, mm-hmm. and you know, just third world conditions. I mean, you know, terrible, terrible conditions. No, no, you know, no plumbing, no toilet paper. Mm-hmm. It was just awful. And I spent about, you know, close to two weeks in those jails, and then I was uh, brought in front of the Supreme Court in the in Dominican Republic in Santo Domingo. And uh, because, you know, the U.S. government asked for my extradition. And so I wasn't about to uh, fight extradition. Uh, You know, I felt at that point I had to get there and face the music. My wife was in New York at MCC, the Metropolitan Correction Center. Uh, They brought her there. And so I said, you know what, let's get this over with. Let's do it. And whatever's going to happen, let me get it over with. So I didn't fight extradition. and. 
once I had the extradition hearing, they then took me to a Dominican prison. There's two major prisons in the Dominican Republic, so I was in one um, called Nahayo Prison. And so I stayed there for about, uh, I think it was five weeks. And that was crazy. Um, yeah, so, and then from there, you know, the U.S. Marshals came and took me to New York. So my first day in jail was actually in, you know, Dominican Republic. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I saw some pretty, pretty bad things. You know, I saw some pretty bad things throughout my uh, prison right. sentence. But, but perspective-wise, being in Dominican Republic jails versus, you know, uh, maximum security here in America, I imagine it's slightly different. It's very different. I mean, <laughs> you know, I'm being you know, generous in, here. In many ways, you could get, you could get, you could have a little bit more freedom in Dominican, you know, in third world jails as long as you have money. And I right, had a bit of right. money. I had a bit of money, but you know, so you could buy, you could buy what you need, or buy things that you need, or buy a little bit more comfort. So when I was in the prison, it wasn't so bad. It's just chaotic, right? Because it's not like the American prison system where there's actually some form of organization by the authorities or the officials. It's just like where they say the inmates run this place. It's, you know, literal in those places. Well, yeah, but in America, it's a business. That's why you see the difference, you know, they, yeah, they, they know. want, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's really it's, a business. Yeah. It's it, kind of, it, I touch on that in my book. And I, when I first got to MCC New York, I would, I would ask questions. There was a, uh, you know, one inmate there who was back <laughs> on appeal and he'd already done a whole bunch of years in the medium in, in California. Mm. In, uh, was it Victorville? I think so. And I would ask questions like, I understand. Why don't they this? And why don't they that? And he would just look at me and laugh. And <laughs> they want to do it. It's by design. It's a business. And I'd say, but it doesn't make sense. What do you mean? How could it be a business? It costs the money to hold us. But then I figured it out real quick. It's all about economic stimulation. Yep. And, you know, employing everybody from the, uh, Criminal lawyers to the yep. prosecutors to the police to the, to the guards to the, the guards, guards to the whole you know to all these um, rural you know rural economies and you know where I was right. everybody worked at the prison and then also there's another side too is like money laundering and drug you know uh, what you would call uh, con- uh, muling if you will in and out you know it's just it's crazy the the amount of business like black market that goes on in jails too. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And then all the money they seize, right? All the forfeiture. Yeah, that's the right. first thing they love. You know, they'll go after. They'll go after anybody with money. Yep. As long you know, if they could grab money, I saw over the years guys who had you know given up you know tons of money. Right. Sometimes ill-gotten, and many times not. And they thought they were doing something with it, but nope. Here, we just took that shit. Yeah. Enjoy. enjoy. Yeah, yeah, and you know they charge you. They forfeit your. You gotta. You you sign a forfeiture order for the amount of the. You know, in a white collar case, for the amount of your loss, and then they charge you with restitution for the equivalent. Right, like as. (laughs) What do you mean? I'm going to prison, and you and you want me to pay the money back twice? Right. Is this even legal? Yeah, it's legal. Yeah, it's crazy. It, 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 it's legal by paper. It's just like, what the fuck, man? Yeah, yeah. Like, I, if I gave you, if I told you what I had, what makes you think I have double? Which yeah. you might, but why do I want to fucking give it to you? I need it when I get out, bitch. Wait, wait, <laughs> do the victims even get any of it? You know? Right. 
do the victims even get? Like in my case, no, oh, fuck no. The state gets that shit, or the right. feds. Well, the, the state, feds probably the get it. Government, you yeah. know, one of the two. Yeah, yeah. So you know, do they even get it? They're supposed to, but who knows? You can't find out. And try, no, to, get, try to ask for the balance of what you owe, or you know, a yeah. statement. You know, yeah, they'll give you a fucking whop on the head with one of them yeah. damn sticks for asking that shit. <laughs> you, know, you, you know, I don't want to be, it's, it's, I gotta be always careful because to criticize the American justicism isn't a criticism of America. You know, no, it's two bro. separate things, you know. As a Canadian growing up, we'd watch, you know, we'd watch the Super Bowl and go, now that's a, that's a football game, right? And we uh-huh. hear your president's giving speeches, and we go, now that's a president, right? We would be like in awe of the United States, because here we were in this little country, Canada, you know? So we were always, mm-hmm. uh, we always looked at the United States like, you know, as advertised, the land of the free, the home of the brave, this great, you know, this great country, right? But yeah. if you ever find yourself in the situation I was in, you start to see a whole different side. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The, the penal system. The real, the real corrupt way side. different. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, you know as, as in a, a person, American or whatever, um, I never get mad when I hear anybody criticized from the outside, uh, per se. Uh, we're all North Americans, if we want to be honest about it. But what I'm saying is, like, you know, just in America in general, too, um, certain demographics have a, we don't have a veil over our eyes. Like we see this whole system as it is and it looks great on the outside, but we've always dealt with America as America is, you know, and it can, it can look a certain way. And then when you're going through it, it's like, I don't, I've never been like, you can't say that about America because I love it so much. And I do love America. And I've had like, so many family members that have fought for this country ill willing when they come home off of uh, their tours, they get called nigger this X, Y, Z that, or not served, or they got to, you know, ride in the back of a car, X, Y, Z, you know what I'm saying? And they're high ranking officers. And it's just crazy when people get upset about you talking about an establishment. I don't get that mindset where you can be so blind to just be like all about country and X, Y, Z, when you know that there's like flaws and things that are wrong. Well, so for me, for me as a Canadian, the thing that like just it was like a punch in the face was the amount of racism. Yeah, I, like it's I nice. had no like. Listen, man, I was like, I just I didn't get it. I didn't understand it. I remember the first time in New York when I was on a, uh, you know, I was on a, I was in a unit and on a tier, and there were a bunch of black guys, and they were all bloods, right? Yeah, and then, right. you know, you know, white boy. And I look at mm-hmm. him and go, what, what are you saying, man? What do you, what's that white boy? Or, you know, and I started to understand that there was all these divisions. And, you know, in prison, yeah. very divided, right? It's very right. racial. Sure. Right. Yeah. After a while, like when I was in Allenwood, the black guys understood that I had, I was not like that. You know, like in Canada, right. it's not like that. It's just, right. it's not like that. So I would say, like, you know, man, it's, it's not like that where I come from. And then they started to understand and believe it. Right. And so it was mm-hmm. a whole different thing. Like I could go into the black TV room, watch TV. Right? Yeah. And they were cool. Everybody was cool with me. Right. But it was like, if I was in a white TV room, the black guys would say, well, you know, he's a racist. Why mm-hmm. am I a racist? Why? Cause I'm watching yeah. a show in the white TV room that I like. It's right. So I was floored by the level of racism and I never saw that before. You know, I spent, Years, I you know, at one time I had a place in Florida, and so you know, I know the history, yeah, I know the history, right. but I right. never felt it the way I felt it, and it was like to me, it was 
It was bizarre and ridiculous. It really, it just fucking sucks, man. It's a, it's an unnecessary tension, but there's a necessary, there's like a reason that it's survival, man, but it's there, you know, cause it's, it's so prevalent and it's under, it's, it's behind the scenes here. It's now, disgusting and sad, really. It, it is. Is what I feel, you know? It is. But not to get on some racial, we're talking yeah. about you, you know what I'm saying? But that was an experience you had, which is great, because we could, you know, divert this whole conversation and be like, no, no, seven, no, 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 you're right. Seven, seven hours in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's steer back in. Yeah, Let's you know? Reel it back in. But that was one of the experiences you had, and it's it's amazing that you, you know. That's a real experience. Yeah, you know, yeah. that you, you came out of this, and it seems like you came out of it better than you went in, you know, so. Well, I think I said to myself every day, if, um, you know, I'm about to, uh, whatever else I do, I got to come out of this in some way improved, right? Mm-hmm. For your and children. I, right. And I think, you know, it, I don't, I don't recommend anybody ever go to prison. <laughs> Just, <laughs> you'll be a better person. <laughs> yeah, try try were, it out once. There were some real serious life lessons that I, you know, learned and acquired. And, you know, one of them was certainly humility and, and, after that, to be satisfied and grateful for what we do have. Yes. Not worry, not worry about what we don't have. Because you know what? You know, at the worst of times, you still have a lot more than other people. Yes, absolutely. And when I look mm-hmm. back now on what it was, what, what it was, what the reason was that I did what I did is absolutely, you know, so ridiculous. Because even at what I perceived as terrible at that time wasn't so bad. And it can always still, still better than others. Yeah. So today life is different for me. You know, today I'm a lot more content with what I have and I'm not, it's not about what I don't have. It, it, the, the word content, I think that it's more so appreciative and understanding, you know, cause like content is like, you don't have any drive. You've been through so much yeah, man, yeah, and enough. you've seen it. You've seen it. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. I think yeah, a lot you only of, know you only know what you know, you know. Yeah, and you've been through a lot more than ninety five percent of people will ever go through. Because, well, I mean, you know, like let's say it doesn't fuck a percentage. You've been through a, a situation that most won't go through, and came out with the right mindset instead of shit. I got to go back to what I was doing because now I don't have any other options. And that, right, that's right. typically the cycle. You know, once well, you're yeah, in, agreed. you're in for life. Agreed, and that's my biggest criticism of you know the justice system, like. Where's the rehabilitation? There's no there's no rehabilitation because you don't want to help these people. No, nope, it's a system. You want to bring them back in. You want to make money. You want to keep the guards. And, you know, you just want to keep these yes. things going. Teach these guys something. You know, teach them plumbing. Teach them electricity. Teach, give them a chance. Any you trade. Know? Right. Some of these kids, and I call them kids. I was 53. Kid, you know, kids in, you know, in their 20s. And then, of course, there's 30s and 40s. But right. they never had a chance. Socioeconomic conditions put them in an environment where they had no other, not that they had no right. other option. They didn't know anything else. So they're hard workers and a lot of them are smart. They're talented smart. as shit. They just had no outlet. That's right. all. So give them something, teach them something, teach them. So no, 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 well, you take your GED, fuck the GED. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if you want if you want this, you got to have your GED. What is the GED going to do? Teach them how to do it. Nothing. Trade, right. It's a piece of paper. And that's, that's one of the biggest flaws. And Jay, you know, Jay and I know a few people who have been in prison young, yeah. you know, started at an early age and, and got in there for, you know, selling drugs or whatever. Yeah. And then a few, you know, they get out, few, you, you know, a couple of years later, back in, if you get out, yeah. you, you know, they they're, they're back in, in and out, in and out. Nothing. And then some people, some people even get to the point where they, 
they call that there. That's all they know. And yeah, they feel comfortable in there. So it's they don't home. mind going back. Cause it's, you know, it's, you know, I've been in there so long. That's my family's in there. I've, I've actually heard people tell me my family's yeah. in there. Yep. It's not a big thing to go back anymore. And right. that's, so we're, that's we're the moment when you know that the fucking prison industry, the business has done its job and it's so yeah. fucked that, up. You, you see it with that. You see it with veterans on the streets. There's no help for that. I mean, yeah. there's, there's major flaws in, in a lot of our systems here in, in the U S but well, yeah. staying on topic. I mean, it's, 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 it's a shitty system that needs to be fixed, but won't get fixed. Cause like you said, Warren, it's, it's making people money. Yep. You know, it's, it's a, it's like, it, I've had this like correlation between the prison system and the, the military, whereas they're both big money machines and mm-hmm. they exploit people for a certain amount of years. And then when you're out, either you go back because you need more money or you get out and you can't do anything and you live on the streets. Yeah. Those they both are parallel. Like I, I mean, somebody could debate me on that, but let's let's just talk real facts. You know, no, it's, it's true. It's you see it, see it everywhere, and I see it over here because I'm in Southern California, so I see it a lot. You have a big military base is, over here, and your homeless level, right. veteran level, is fucking bonkers. Yeah. The home, the homeless level itself is skyrocketing, and the, the percentage of them being veterans is is ridiculous. And there's just not that help or support, and it it is it's, it's correlated, and it is very very similar to the prison. Right. And the well, justice somebody, system. You know, you know, somebody gets out of prison, they can't rent an apartment, they can't get a bank account, they can't get a credit card. I mean, they're 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 set up to fail yeah. immediately. So yeah. so let's yeah, fast you forward. Put that, you put that on your application, you're not getting a job. <laughs> it's anywhere. a wrap, dude. They're gonna <laughs> man, what? Like it's a it's super rap. Right. Uh so let's fast forward. What are you up to now? So uh, you know what? I got out January 2018. I wrote the book. Well, I wrote I wrote the book. Yeah, when did you write the book? Yeah, so I started with 11 months left on my sentence. I don't know why or what really made me do it, but I said, I guess I ran out of things to do in the morning. <laughs> I, actually, I do know why. There was, there was this Italian, a wise guy from New York. He was a real funny guy. He was like a Joe Petsy type of character. And he oh, started boy. writing a book about his, uh, and he would have me read it. And I, you know, he was a funny, <laughs> funny guy, right? So I would read it and I go, you know, this is funny, but it's illiterate. <laughs> so <laughs> I started trying to edit it for him a little bit. And then I got to thinking, I said, you know what? I could do I this. A crazy story myself. Right. From, you know, the, from, from where you're looking at it from. And I said, as I started writing and I guess it started off as a composition, you know, and then, you know, I, before I knew it, I was like, you know, I was, you know, 20 chapters into it and I kept going and going. And when right. I left, when I was released, I had 34 chapters written. So I came back, I, you know, I got deported. I came back to deported. I was never in the United States as I, as I did slightly, but I got deported. I was, you know, I bought there and then deported. And, um, I came home and I said, you know what, I got to finish this. I got to finish it. I, you know, I put too much into it. So I, uh, I finished it in July of 2018. Okay. And I released it September 16th, and two days later, it was number one on Amazon in Canada. Wow, congrats. Yeah, it blew me away, guys. Blew me away. I, I awesome. had no expectation. At one point, it hit number six in the U.S. Now, not number six overall, but, you know, Amazon mm-hmm. has these categories. But What's the title again? It's one more time? Gorilla Tango. Okay. Gorilla Tango. It's available on Amazon Worldwide. I'm gonna have to check that out. Yeah, it's what, crazy. Yeah, it's what's crazy. the what's the process of writing a book in in prison? Uh, it, I've been asked. <laughs> first of all, if I got caught writing about what I was writing about, I don't think they would have uh, 
I would have fared too well, right? So yeah. you guys write books, but you know what? The minute you're writing about prison or the system, they don't gonna, want that. Uh, yeah, they're gonna they're gonna take care of you. You know, likely throw you in the shoe, put you on diesel therapy, which is what they do. What they start shipping you all over the country, so you never get a chance to sort of situate yourself or you know, mm-hmm. have any kind of yeah to a phone or email access. And you know they do that to guys all the time. So I had to do it in secret, right? And it's hard to keep you know secrets in prison, right? So, because uh, everybody's always watching what everybody else is doing. So, I managed to keep it a secret, and uh, I, I figured out a way of, you know, getting the chapters out one at a time. And I won't say how I did, because it would get some... Nah, don't, don't say shit. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, when I got home, I had, like I said, I had the 34 chapters written, so I just, you know, kept going. But it was basically waking up in the morning, coffee... And, you know, having some, you know, a bite to eat and then getting down to it, start writing longhand on paper. And mm-hmm. then when I, when I felt I had something substantial in terms of a chapter or a part of the book, I start typing it into the computer system where, you know, we have email, but I couldn't save it in an email or send it in email. I just saved it as a draft and I would mm-hmm. go up and to the library and print it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, because if I sent an email... You got a They're digital trail. It. They're yeah. looking at you. You know, they would have seen it because as it was, I was on the uh, the SIS, which is Special Investigative Services. Yeah, so they're screening you. I was on their hot list for pretty much the whole time I was in prison. I, I don't know why. <laughs> I guess there's a lot of well, them. Well, they know you know how to communicate uh, through other versions of uh, communication, like email and mail and, you know, writing letters and things like that because of what, you know, you were rocking yeah, with before. I, I don't know what it was. Eventually, <laughs> I, in my last year, they, they took me off. I I went to see them and I said, please, it's enough. You know, I'm not, you, you know, I'm going on. I, so they took me off that hot list. But it made life not difficult, but it was just, uh, you know, I said I would send an email on Monday and the person would get it on Friday. Mm-hmm. You know, so all my phone calls, all my emails were monitored for pretty much my whole bit. So you, you, you gave them too much smartness when you were talking to them the first time. They, they saw you were too educated. They were like, we got to watch this guy. I don't know if some of them are smart enough to know when somebody's smart. Yeah, well, you know, you can't really work those jobs and be too intelligent because you got to take orders from dumbass people in the first place. So, yeah, well, but, you know, I won't get too far into that. Right, right. <laughs> So yeah, listen. The, the book, the whole thing was a big surprise, and you know, it's it continues to sell, and it sells, and it sells, and it's you know, it's it's great. And now, recently, I started uh, I started back in a little bit of uh, you know, a little bit of a couple of business ventures and and working, and that was an adjustment for sure. It's been a yeah. long time since I actually got up in the morning and had to go to work all day. Yeah, and right. so yeah, it was a bit of a a bit of a challenge, but I started doing that in May of this year. And now I'm pretty, pretty much, uh, you know, accustomed to, to working, you know, that sort of schedule. And, uh, and uh, the truth is I had to, you know, I'm way too young to be sitting around the house and checking book sales. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, when you were in versus when you get out, um, they say that the world changes so quickly and even a small amount of time nowadays. Uh, what did you notice was different from when you had, you know, first started to when you got out and you were back in society? Well, I mean, the first thing that struck me was, I mean, I wasn't in that long. And, you know, I had, yeah. before I got locked up, I had an iPhone. I forget which version. But the technology, just the yeah. technology changed drastically. 
I used to sweat when I had to go pay for something at the beginning with the tapping and, the, and, and the, you know, the, I didn't know what to, how to tap, what to do with a, with a debit card. It was, it was just all overwhelming to me. Yeah. And I'd be in line, you know, and there's in a grocery store and there's, you know, 10 people standing behind me and I'd be like, Oh my, I didn't know what to do. And, you know, right. insert it and, you know, just, just technology, you know, right. this notion that I can send money with an email. What? You know, the world yeah. changes so fast nowadays. So fast. I had a, my last monkey had been locked up since so so twenty five year bid. I, oh shit! I often think about he's going to get out next year. I often think about you know oh, man. what the adjustment will be like for him. Oh, twenty five years. Yeah. That's wow. <laughs> Yo, at least he's got you though. He missed, uh, he he missed the whole man, text messaging what? and right. era, right? Hey, listen, there's, yeah, guys, there's guys in the federal system. That get, I mean, people get a lot of time in that system. Oh, yeah. I mean, 25 years is a lot, but there's but a lot of times with 45 and 40. I was going to say, 25 is kind of like it's there, but it's it's almost um, in just relative time to time inside there, kind of like a blink when right. dudes are doing 40, 60, sometimes two hours. That's L's. your whole life, man. That 40, is. 40 years. That's, that, that is a whole life, bro. The I mean, biggest chunk of your life is really a life. When you think about it, you get you get if you're 30 years old. By the time you come out, you know 55, you get some years left. But yeah, yeah. that's the other 70 thing. something. They give too much time out in your country. They just give it. It's they just, yeah, man. I mean, for me, for me, and I've said it before. I said, you know, the shame that I that I cast on my family and on our mm-hmm. reputation and on you know that in itself was a major punishment, right? Because right. suddenly, you know, I disparaged my family. You know, just everything that I, I you know, that I caused was a ma- That was the biggest part of the punishment for me. So anything after two years was just, you know, the government was just paying for me to get into shape. Pretty much, you know. Right? And that's, that's what it was. I mean, it was all over the top. It was, mm-hmm. you know, six, six years for what, right? But little did they know, too, that you were going to come out on top and have written one of the best-selling books for the year. And yeah, I mean, I'm not the only one. There's guys who come out, you know, okay, few and far between, but there's guys who come out and, and see real success, you know? Yeah. It's a tremendous thing to see, you know? It can happen, but you have to be in the right mind state. And also, before you go in, you kind of have to be that person anyway. Right. You know, you, yeah. have to- guys, you know, I mean, you see guys changing there. For sure. You see guys change, you know, they grow up and they mature and they, they start to understand that, you know, it's the life they were leading is, uh, you know, there's no winning at the end. Right. So they start to change, but how easy is it after? I mean, you can read all the books you want and try to acquire as much information and education as you want. But then when you get out, we know it's a whole other thing without having Mm -hmm. gone to prison, succeeding, you know, on an economic, you know, yeah, it's tough yeah. as is. It's right. tough for anybody, right? So, and everything is saturated, and you've got this major mark on your paperwork. Right. Against Although you. I will say, if you could, if you could endure that, then you're ready for just about any challenge. Oh fuck yeah! That yeah. shit right there is like the one thing that it, it's always kept me honest and straight. When I've, uh, if any other time in my life, when I was younger, when I was starting to think about doing whatever. It was first and foremost, both my parents would have killed me. And then on top of it, that situation, I have a family member who was in federal prison and yeah. he came out of, he's still doing well, but he came out different. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, I, mean, I, don't, 
I don't know how you you could you know experience that with and be the same. <laughs> and be the same, you know. It, it, yeah. it changes you, you know. Yeah, but you know, like you said, um, it could. It's a fifty-fifty chance, and it can, it can change you for the better or the worse. Right, and, and and even for the better, it still changes you. You know, it just yeah, um, it leaves its mark on you. It's got. It just uh, it leaves. That's not coming. Just. It's, it's, it, Dude, it's not conditions for a human being, like in any sense, mentally, physically, none of that shit. It really isn't. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I, I get you know, it. Guys would say to me, "Hey, I was Canada, right? I was known, you know, it's very, uh, right, very geographical prison. You know, you're from Philadelphia, you know, Philly. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, Cali. I mean, that's how you know, whatever it is. But so I was always Canada. I mean, count on my hand how many guys knew my name, right? <laughs> Canada, I hear prisons are sweet uh, up in Canada. I was like, I don't know, man. I never been. <laughs> it's never been. <laughs> I have no idea, but I somehow found it. I don't think they're that much different. It's like it was not my goal to even meet you. Shit, right, I don't exactly. know which one of these. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hey, do you think? And I don't know if you have anything to compare it to, but do you think going in at the age you did gave you? And I don't want to say an upper hand, but maybe people looked at you a bit different, maybe gave, gave you more respect than they would of a younger person? I, I'll tell you here, I write this in my book, okay? First of all, uh, fortunately for me, I got good genes. I don't look my age. I just turned 60, mm-hmm. right? Most people who meet me will think I'm in my 40s. And, you know, back... So it was a disadvantage in many ways because, uh, you know, I would spend a lot of my time doing a lot, you know, sports, playing handball, doing different things. And guys were always ready to, uh, you know, ready to fight with me thinking I was younger than I am. And then on the other hand, I would say, well, wait a minute. I don't even know if they have respect for age anyway. Right. There's really, it's a place where there's really no respect, even for age, you know, you you get some hothead and they don't, they don't give a shit. But so, you know, once you're situated in a place long enough and people get to know you, they start to know what you're about. I, I don't think your age really matters. If they know you're cool and if they know you're minding your own business and if your paperwork is good and you weren't a rat, you didn't tell on anybody, you're not playing with kids, none of that weird shit. Right. You're not a child molester and you mind your own business and you treat people with respect. You really will have no problems, you know, but you know, it takes a while for people to understand that. Prior to that, it's all, you know, their prejudgment of who or what you may be. And of Just course, look you get at tested, it. right? You get tested mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. So you got to be prepared to stand up and, you know, pass that test. Because if you don't, right. you're, you're going to have a hard time, right? So I was always ready to pass the test, and I did, you know. And so when I was in prison in Allenwood, and, you know, and I was there long enough, I think everyone knew my age and I think it contributed to, you know, how I was treated, but like in MCC, New York for 14 months, yeah, may age meant nothing. You know? Yeah. Right. That's a different spot altogether. Shit. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's a pre-trial place where there's no designations and, you know, None. everybody's there. There's all types of people and, you know, people that are going to be convicted of murder and it's just any, every other thing. Right. It's the holding cell after the holding cell, basically. So, yeah, you know, I think that, um, you know, it's funny, you know, in prison, the more gangster you are, the more respect you get, right? Mm -hmm. You know, it's kind of unfortunate, but that's that's (laughs) the reality. You know, you come in on a big case, you know, and you get respect. 
Yeah. It's crazy. Like it is. Thank God. So what what would you say without giving away too much are the the messages you want to get across Um, in, in your book? Yeah. I mean, I think one of them we talked about, you know, the justice system and how just, you know, broken it is and, you know, how it really needs to be fixed. You gotta, you know, America is about, to me, you know, you think of America, it's about justice, you know? And so you got to fix this justice system. That's one of the messages. Another message is, you know, about, you know, we're human beings and we're flawed. I certainly am flawed and uh, we make mistakes. And I think we got to sometimes recognize when we make a mistake, it shouldn't be what defines us or we shouldn't let it be what defines us because we have the ability to fix, not fix it specifically, but change and, you know, change your life and do the right things and rebuild yourself. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, another, you know, thing that is for me, for me especially is, you know, remorse. You know, I have a lot of remorse for what I did. Remorse for the victims, for the people I hurt. You know, I took money from people and, uh, you know, hurt people. And so I live with that all the time. It stays with me, you know, all, you know, it's always there, always evolving, always changing, always growing, really. And, but ultimately, if someone asked me the question, why did you write this book? It was really to try to whatever degree possible to alleviate sort of this veil of shame that I cast on my family. Yeah. And I thought in one way or the other, if I could just tell the story. Not a story of excuses, oh, this is why, because there is no why good enough to explain away what I did. I just, what I did was mm-hmm. wrong. But if I could explain and if I could tell the actual story, maybe it will alleviate to some degree this level of shame. And I think for the most part, it's done that. You know, you even have your people that are always going to be judgmental. You know, yeah, of course. Aren't, aren't going to have an open mind or... You know, for the most part, they probably have something to hide themselves. I don't know. (laughs) know, Who am I to say that? But I think for for the most part, people, if even strangers, you know, if I'm at a book signing, people are very uh, willing to keep an open mind about something like that, right? And so I think, you know, those are the overall sort of messages that resonate with me and I think resonate for somebody reading the book. Dope. To touch on what you said, man, everybody's got a dirty closet. Just how much shit can you shut the door or not? That's the only thing. How much shit do you got in there? Right. I think, you know, maybe not everybody. I don't know to what degree, but so some worse than others. But yeah, none of us get out of here alive, right? Fuck no. Nope. Not that I know of. Yeah, we all go through some some level of shit, right? And yeah. Whether it's, uh, you know, like I write in my book, I knew guys in business who every penny they made, you know, they left a trail of blood. Yeah. You know, and they left, you know, they hurt yeah. people. I mean, so how did they get judged? I mean, so, yeah, they didn't technically break a, a law, but maybe they ruined somebody else's life. Right. You know, here's my thing is, too, is like whether it's federal, state, whatever the case may be, you serve your sentence, you paid your dues, leave them fucking people alone when they get done paying their dues. The yeah. sentence was sentenced. They paid their time. They did their shit. Now, when they get back into like society, 
do not loom that over them, man, because then you're literally pushing them right back into the same shit you judged them for in the first place. That's, yeah, that's, that's, that's what we said. And what we said before, and it's exactly that, and it's by design, right? So it is. That's it what, really that's is. What they want, man. From yeah, that's yeah. perspective. You know, everybody needs to talk. You know, the, most of us, most the human condition, most people are miserable, and so they always need something else to point at, and something else right. to disparage, right. right? So you know. They'll jump on that bandwagon right away, you know, so people will be critical people. And, and until something happens, right, until something happens, something, you know, drastic happens, you know, it's very easy to be judgmental and point, you know, right. and, and say, you know, this guy's a scumbag or this guy's this or this guy's that. But you know what? You know, careful, you know, you're on a high horse, but nothing lasts yeah. forever and nothing, you know. Well, it's like, yo, you got a perfect position to be on top anyway, so you never had to even think about desperate or fucking drastic measures or things that you would have to do to get some food or be on top or even just shit, have somewhere to sleep. You know, like people never go through Mm -hmm. that. And then, two, it's like like uh, in in New York, they got this cash bond system and people sit in fucking places for like weeks and months because they don't have the money to bond out before their court case. And then they don't even get a court case for like months. So they're just sitting in there over like $700 because they're broke as shit in the first place. And then they're in a place like Rikers Island. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, we, we all to get through the day without, uh, you know, getting stabbed or. Right. You know, and yeah. But the two things that I see that are happening now is one, in certain states, ex felons, they're allowing them, or not allowing them, but like reinstating the actual right to start voting again which has been taken away. So there's certain states that are doing that. And then there's other states like, like New York, they're fighting now to get rid of that cash bond system. Well, I mean, Um, on a a state level, a lot of the states in in a lot of the states are doing things to try to work towards rehabilitation and fixing the state. mm -hmm. But the federal system, they're doing nothing. They don't give a shit. They don't want to. They're doing nothing like this, 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 uh, you know, this recent sort of justice reform, it's like, yeah, yeah, we'll give you a little bit here and we'll take there. You know, when guys were telling me from, you know, guys that was still in touch with. So, you know, there's two points, you know, about the two point reduction for drug cases. You, you no. when you're sentenced in the federal system, it works on a point system. Yeah. Right? And it's a sentencing guideline. And for whatever you do, whatever your crime, there's a point system and you get sentenced based on that level of points. So if you have mm-hmm. 20 points or you have 30 points or 40 points, and so they were going back because of the, you know, the uh, ridiculous cocaine laws uh, or sentencing that came in during the Reagan area. They were giving a two point reduction. So guys were literally getting out or getting their sentences reduced. But you yeah. know, they were locking up people faster on the other end of it. They were right. trying to charge people quicker and faster and just, you know, filling up, you know, filling up the front end of it. Right. If you got a guy serving like 15 and then you reduce his sentence, but you got a guy that's got like two years worth of coke, let's get him in and get him out. It's a business. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, absolutely. I, mean, I have you my, still have people in there that they were selling, weed. selling weed. Fucking well, weed, bro. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. I mean, there's guys, I had one friend in there who, uh, who's, he's doing 20, hold on, 25 years for weed. So it's being legalized everywhere. <laughs> it's legal in Canada. But then also the cop that pulled him over was probably high anyway. 
You know what I'm saying? <laughs> they take that shit and smoke it themselves, you know? Yeah, yeah it's, like, I mean, not... <laughs> it's crazy. I mean, it's going to be, by the time he gets out, it'll be legal in every state and maybe even federally. But of course, they say, yeah, but what about this guy? He's sitting there and, and probably it'll be, well, at the time he broke the law. So the law is the law. We can't do anything. Yeah, exactly. But maybe right. a little bit, uh, being a little bit skeptical, you know, a little bit hard or too critical, but I can, no. I can see that. When his case gets released, the judge is going to have his feet up on the fucking desk with a gavel and a blunt. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, it's not, nothing they can do at, at the no. time, like you said, Warren. At well, the time, know, it was a lot of times the judges didn't have a choice, right? With the sentencing guidelines, with the federal guidelines, yeah. the judges didn't have, before the Booker case in the, uh, I forget what year it was, they had no choice. Hey, I have a guy, and he's in my book, and he's a, you know, became a good friend of mine. You don't make a lot of friends in there, but the right. few you do, it's almost like, uh, a brother relationship, you know, it's, I, I, I doubt it's like going to battle in the military. I don't think anything's as extreme as that, but uh, you're in the trenches with these guys, right? Yeah. And so you become, you become like tight in a way that's hard to explain. Right. So I yeah. have one guy, he got sentenced to 22 years because that was the low end of his guideline range. And the judge was trying to cut him a break. So we gave him 22 years. His guideline range was 22 to life. Wow. So we gave him 22. So this guy was 25 years old. And the judge said at the time, you know, I recognize you're nothing. It was nothing. You're nothing but a petty criminal who never even really had the wherewithal to pull off this crime, which was selling, uh, you know, selling a uh, rocket launcher to somebody or some shit like that. What the fuck? story but yeah yeah he was just trying to impress people he was young right and he was trying to impress people and so he got 22 years wow and the judge you know felt that's the best he could well the judge that was the best that's that's the best he could do legally legally yeah Mm -hmm. and see that i have my reservations about the federal government in in general across the board for various things not even just the penal system but like you know monetary and other other you know international affairs and just it's just i don't know that's a whole nother conversation yeah. as well but but you know it, it, what i'm getting at and tying it in is they always set themselves a guideline you know what i mean and then it's like i can't do anything about it right it's like yeah. but why not like every case is different you can't just pigeonhole everybody into this point system I mean, a whole sure thing is designed from, you know, from 10,000 feet in the air, it all looks like it's good, right? You get a yeah. you get a pre-sentence report that's done by the probation office. So essentially, it's supposed to be like an interview to find out about your background, your family, and this and that. So they write this pre-sentence report. It, it doesn't have any effect. I mean, my lawyer, my lawyer, I had the worst lawyer on earth. And I, just, <laughs> I, mean, I, I really, there was nothing about my case that went my way. Nothing. Just turn around and sue him. Fuck him. <laughs> so uh, my lawyer said, when we came back from the, uh, the pre-sentence um, report meeting, where you meet with him, and, he's, and, and what, we actually got the pre-sentence report, and the, the probation officer wrote in it, that they believe that when I get released, I'll become a successful businessman again. He says, in 40 years, I've never seen a pre-sentence report like this. He goes, they're wow. never positive. So I was, you know, I was all excited thinking, okay, I'm going to get the low end of the guidelines, maybe even below that. You know, maybe this mm-hmm. won't be so bad. And I don't think the judge even read it. Right. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. Not only did I have to get the low end, I got, I got the high end of the guidelines. Right. That's crazy. 
So, oh man, that's uh, yeah, well, man. I mean, at least, at least you came, you came out on top, like Jay was saying. Yeah, man. You know, well, you, you made you made the best of the time. If if that's something you could even say, yeah, you made your the best family, of your time in there. Your family, man. Your, progress, but, uh, your family had your back, and then you did your thing as parents. That's the most beautiful part of the situation is that your children's lives they were affected and impacted. But if you want to put it on a scale or a point system, like we've been talking about, it was very minimal in comparison to what normally happens because of the work you put in because of the work you two put in. So that's a Testament in itself to you and your wife's character, man. It's been the great talking to you about this stuff. Yeah. I listen, I prayed every day. I wrote in my book, this, you know, this prayer I said to myself when it first happened, it was like, whatever you do, God, just whatever you got to do, just punish me. Don't punish anybody else. They're innocent. Right. They didn't do anything. So just, Whatever you got to do to me, do it. And so I said that to myself every day, you know, for that five and a half years or whatever. And, uh, yeah, thank God, you know, he answered my prayers. Yeah, man. Sure. Where can, uh, where can people find you? And, and obviously on, on Amazon, they can find the book. But uh, why don't you give us the title again and then any, any yeah, links where they can find uh, you? Gorilla Tango. The reason uh, for the title, I get that asked, asked a lot. Mm-hmm. mean and... Uh, to me, the whole experience was like trying to dance with a gorilla. You know, you, have, you don't have a chance. The gorilla just takes you and whips you all over the room. You know, yeah. from the from the yeah. from the prosecutors to the judge to the guards, the whole justice system to the inmates to the prison system. It's just like trying to dance with a gorilla. It's overwhelming, and it's uh, you know you don't have a chance. And so that's how I came up with the title of the book. It's you know obviously on Amazon worldwide and. Um, I, I guess Barnes and Noble, anywhere where ebooks are sold. Okay. It's in retail stores, but select stores here and there, mostly in Canada, major stores. Um, and of course, I'm on Instagram at Warren Stellman with okay. my And Facebook, yeah, is where uh, anybody could find me. Awesome. Awesome. I'll put all that in the show notes as well. Thank you for coming on, man. Yeah, you guys, thanks for having me. It was really nice talking to you. And like I said, uh, I enjoyed listening to a few of your shows, and I, I plan to continue listening. Oh, I appreciate hey, that. I just started following you. Yeah, all right, thanks. I'm going to follow you back. For sure, man. It was a really good time, man. Very right, interesting. Buddy. Thanks, fellas. You think that was cool? All right, that's a wrap. Thanks again for listening, everybody. And once again, be sure you are subscribed and following on Instagram. Uh, we have our Q&A show coming up in a few weeks, so send those questions into my email, ray at wordsovericeshow.com, or slide in the DM on IG. Thanks again. We'll talk to you next week.